Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning, church. My name is Neil, and I have the joy and the privilege of reading the scripture this morning. The scripture reading is found from Psalm 19, verses 1 to 11. And it's a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, and they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. This is God's word. church we on here there we go this morning we're talking about words and the power of words and so i thought we'd start with maybe some famous words and see if you know who said them or not so let's uh throw the first one up there i won't do the dance for you but you better run you better do what you can don't want to see no blood don't be a macho man no are you guys kidding me do i need to dance for you Michael Jackson, exactly. Come on, guys. No more dancing, I promise. It's Beat It, you know? You know, play guitar on Beat It? Eddie Van Halen. Just saying. Okay, next one. Uh oh. Come on, we had a good picture of Jacko, too. There, there you go. Baseball's 90% mental, and the other half is physical. Yogi Berra, right on, the Yankee catcher. Blame it on the rain that was fallen, fallen. Blame it on the stars that shone that night. Millie Vanilli. Well, they actually didn't sing it, but, you know, that's besides the point. All right. It's not what your country can do for you. It's what you can do for your country. JFK, JFK yes. The very first essential for success is a perpetually constant and regular employment of violence. You won't be surprised, Adolf Hitler. And then this one, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Martin Luther King. Those are famous words. And they're words that are not just entertaining, but they're words that have, in a sense, shaped the course of history. 
But those aren't the only famous words in your life. These are words maybe that are not necessarily famous, but maybe they're famous to you because they mean something to you or they have shaped or pushed you in one direction or the other for better or for worse. The words, I love you. The words, you'll never amount to anything. There's something you should know. We have to let you go. I do. I don't love you anymore. I'm proud of you. They aren't necessarily famous words, but they are famous to us. And words have the power, actually, to do more than just communicate information. In fact, there's a, there's a popular belief in sort of a world that is shaped by this idea that science is at the center of everything that's happened, and science can explain everything that's happened and that most of life just has to do with our physical life, that words are just something human beings made up or that the evolutionary process somehow brought to the surface so that you know, we could knock on wood or bang on a stone or somehow move our lips and communicate for the means of transaction and, and exchanging information. And that language is just something that we made up because of the need for us to communicate with each other and get stuff done. But actually, we know that words have much more than just kind of physical and um, you know, practical properties that words actually have the power to give life and to take it away. Adolf Hitler, with his words and a microphone, changed the course of history, incited an entire world war, and took away the lives of six million Jews. We never fired a shot. Words have the power to use as the language we've been using over the last couple weeks in this series, not just to deal with bios life, which is about physicality, but the other Greek word for life, which is zoe, which means vitality. That words have the power to give life and take it away. Words have the power to shape and reshape and change, and they do that at a macro, kind of geopolitical level, but also at a micro level in your heart and my heart, that the words have been, that have been spoken to us have shaped our lives for better or for worse, or the words that we wish would have been spoken to us have for better or for worse. I was thinking that today in our culture, we are surrounded, in a sense, by more words than ever before, <clears throat> not just because of those, you know, those who lived in the era of the printing press, Words suddenly, you know, exponentially were created because they weren't just spoken, they were written down and they were enshrined in, this, in a permanent way forever. But we live now not just in the, in the revolution of the printing press, but the revolution of the internet. And so now we not only have the printed word, but we have the, the red word in the blogosphere and Twitter, and we have 143 characters or whatever it is, and we have um, all kinds of stuff that is accessible to us and words that are constantly coming at us. If you think about it, you have the ability, or curse, as some may see it this way, to be in constant communication with people almost every single moment of the day through words. That many of us, through our electronic devices, are constantly exchanging words with people, or we are reading the words of others. And so, in a sense, it can feel like, though there's many amazing things that come with the ability to communicate and to write words and to send them and to read them, it can come with a sense of pressure or like, a, you know, to use an old word, a cacophony of voices, just a clamor of noise that kind of comes in and is shaping us and pulling us in one direction or the other. And we can often think, well, what is actually shaping my life? What is actually informing my decisions? Whose words are influencing my thoughts and my feelings about the world, about other people? And is even, in Kate, as Kate talked about, influencing ourselves, how I see myself. 
There is a clamor of, in a sense, noisy words around us that we cannot get away from. And with the busyness of our lives, we don't actually realize how much we are being shaped by language and words. As, as people of, of the scriptures, of God's word, we know actually, we know why words have the power to give life and take it away. Because words are not just a human construct, things that we made up in our social family systems to exchange information. But we know because all of life began with our God. Our God who speaks. The very first chapter in the book of God and the book of God's people is God speaking life. And remember a few weeks ago we said that it wasn't just when it says, you know, that he created the universe with his spoken word and that he breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve. He was The word actually, the Greek word that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is not the word bios. He didn't just breathe physical life into Adam and Eve. He breathed zoe life into them. That God, in a sense, made real, made us to be alive and to long to be alive. That this actually explains that words, in a sense, explain our very existence, not just by us, but Zoe life. Words that have the power to give it and take it away. Which is why words are so important to us. And in fact, God's words, in the, in the midst of what can seem like a chaos and a cacophony of voices that are shaping us and pulling us and pushing us one direction or the other, that we come as people to God's word, in a sense, the first words, the baseline foundation words in our lives that are meant to actually shape us. And we can trust them because we not like other ancient religions used to believe that gods and, and gods were these sort of temperamental, um, a little bit unpredictable beings of force that sometimes they were happy with you and other times they weren't. And so sometimes you might get blessing and other times you might get killed. But that God is a God of love and goodness and that he created us with his words to have and to have it to the full. And that, that's the, what we're after, right? And we said, okay, well, what is, it, what is it then that gives life, that makes us go, ah, this makes me feel alive? Because as Melissa reminded us, we're all looking for it. We all want to be alive with hope and expectation and possibility. And so we come, in a sense, to God's words to help us understand not just who he is, exchange of information, but to actually receive him. And the passage that Neil read for us this morning is from Psalm 19. It's, it's, a, it's kind of in the middle of your Bible, and it's a collection of prayers slash songs, mostly by King David, but then a number other of people who wrote, in a sense, about God. And these, these psalms, this is one of the ones that, um, uh, that I learned when I was pretty young, uh, that my dad used to read to us, and I love this psalm. It just reminds me of how powerful God's word is. And it starts with this um, in verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And in that first verse, and it goes on for a few more, it talks about creation. It talks about how God spoke and like the sun came out and light and day and everything and how in a sense, all of creation around us is an indication or in a sense points us to God. But later on, it begins to transition and it starts to talk about the word of the Lord. And as Tim Keller, as he's, when he's speaking on this, points out that it's interesting that the psalmist would switch from using the word God in the first part related to creation and the word Lord when he goes to talk about his word. Because the word God was, uh, is translated Hebrew word Elohim. And Elohim just meant great God. And that's what a lot of people think if they, if they believe in God. They'll say, oh yeah, God is the creator. Like he's great. He's up there. And he, he had something to do with creation. But the word Lord is the word that was the Hebrew word Yahweh, which was 
God's personal name to them. And so somehow we see this transition from talking about the great God in creation, but then suddenly this personal God, the Lord, speaking to us. And what's very interesting is that a lot of people think, well, you know, I don't need to read the Bible or I don't need to go to church to know God. I can just go into creation. But in a sense, the psalmist is saying, yeah, you know what? You can look at the beauty of creation and you might get a sense of who God is, but you're only going to get a very small picture. You're going to see him as the great God, Elohim. But that's about it. You actually need God's specific words to you to help you know who he really is. And that it's not just Elohim, creator God, who spoke and brought the world into existence, but the Lord, Yahweh, speaks a personal word of life to you and me. And look at, look at what Psalm 19 says that, that the word of the Lord does. All these amazing things. And I want you to think about this. I underlined all of them for you up there. Aren't these all the things we are looking for in life? It doesn't matter what your faith background is, whether you've been to church before, whether it's your first time, the first time in a long time, whether you sort of left, it doesn't matter. Aren't we all looking for this? What's the very first thing he says? Refreshing the soul. Isn't that Zoe life that we're looking for? To be vitalized, to be made alive again. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise people or simple people wise, right? I don't know about you, I want wisdom. I don't want just knowledge, I want wisdom. I want to be able to make decisions and then years later look back on them and go, that was a good decision. <laughs> Instead of years later going, I was an idiot. You know, like I want wisdom for life. And it says the words of God not only refresh my soul, but they get, help me make wise decisions. They don't just make me a smart person because smart people can do a lot of damage in the world. They make me wise. I want that. The precepts of the Lord are right. And it says all these, the law, the statutes, the precepts, it's all God's instructions, God's ways, God's plans for us. They're right giving what? Joy to the heart. Friends, this is not religious language, Right? Religious languages, do this, God will bless you. You don't do that, he'll smite you. No, refreshment for the soul, wisdom for the mind, joy to the heart. I want that. Not just happiness, because happiness kind of comes and goes with circumstances. I want joy that lasts, that can get me through even the darkest days where my soul is still alive, even though everything around me is the song we just sang. You know, the war and the clamor of storm is around me. Still I have joy in my heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes to see things as they really are. Insight, illumination, wisdom. I want that kind of way to see the world is because I've been tricked before. As one person said, nobody's lied to you more than you. You know, like I need to be able to see things the way they are, to be able to see light and to have light shed on dark places, in dark storms, dark seasons, or in dark subjects, things that I can't understand. I want the light. And it says the word of God gives us light for living. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. You know what? This is this idea of being stable. I want words that don't blow me this way and that way and leave me feeling I'm so sure about this that I should drink milk and the next day I read you shouldn't drink milk. And it's like, seriously, get your research together. What is the deal? Is milk good for you or bad for you? That's just a little thing, right? How many times we hear conflicting advice, should we do this? And we feel unstable. And the psalmist says, the words of the Lord endure forever. They never change. There isn't new research from God says, well, I thought this in Genesis, but I'm changing my mind later. No, I, my, my commands and my words remain forever. My truth stabilizes you. Who doesn't want that? And then the decrees of the Lord are, right, are firm. All of them are righteous. In other words, righteousness just speaks of goodness to the core. 
good stuff, right living, the kind of life, not, not, not holier than thou, but a kind of life that says, ah, this is good. This leads to life. This kind of thinking and acting and living actually leads to good things. They're righteous. And then it says, they are more precious than gold. They're valuable and they're sweet. They taste good. They're good for me. They're not just good for me. They're good. This is God's word to us. Psalm 19, over and over, in a sense that the, the psalmist is saying, look, you can know a little bit about God through the rest of life, but you don't really know who God is or really know how you should respond or really know how you should live until you hear the personal words of God to you that refresh your soul, that give you wisdom, that bring joy to your heart, that give you light to see the way the world is, that give you stability that are both good for you and also good to the taste. He's saying this is the ways and the plans and the purposes and the voice of God through his word to you is all these things. In a sense, it's all about Zoe life. And so for us to receive God's words to us, it's not just about information. It's about transformation, right? Because knowing God and, and reading God's word as we have it now printed for us, what was spoken was now written down and then multiplied over. And now on every blog and there are apps on your phones and like it's there. It's not for information about God. It's for transformation. It's for Zoe life, that these things would be a part of our lives. And they come first and foremost from a God who speaks his words that bring life to us. What's interesting, though, is when you read the story in the, in the first part of the book of God's people, he, he gave them this, this law. And he said, it's, it's, it's my act of love for you, right? Because this is how we know God loves us, because he speaks to us so that our souls will be, it's all for us. Religion says God or whoever needs something from you. So you got to give it to them to appease them so you can get what you need. He says God needs nothing from you. He's the creator God. He made, the, he made the sun come out. He doesn't need anything from you, but he speaks life to you so that your soul would be refreshed, so that you would see things as they really are, that you would be stable, that you would be full of joy, that you would be full of light, that you would be full of wisdom, that you would be full of goodness, rightness, that you would be stable, that you would not only have what is good for you, but is good to the taste. This is who God is. And he speaks life for you. But you know what? God's people, they didn't get it. They just didn't trust him. They kept making backup plans. They kept saying, God, I know you say this, but this looks a lot more, like it makes a lot more sense. And how often do people say this? Well, I know the Bible says that, but I'd rather do this. Well, I know the Bible says that, but it doesn't really say that. Or I don't actually care what it is because I think I know what's best for me. And so God's people are always kind of saying, well, but God, we don't really trust you. Yeah, we know you created the whole world. We don't really trust you. We know you say you're out for good, but we don't really trust you. And so they were constantly making backup plans. And so the law, God's words and God's life for them became this kind of, you know, they had the, 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 the Ten Commandments that were written down in stone. It became this kind of lifeless thing for them. This kind of law that wasn't close to them. They didn't see God as this personal El, uh, Yahweh God but just far away and they're kind of like, okay, yeah, we know you think that and we'll try to do it, but if it doesn't work for us, we're going to do something else. It was far removed from them. And so God had to do something to bridge the gap between who they were and who he was and how they saw him and had their constant desire to sort of not trust him. And so what did he do? He sends 
Jesus. And what does John say in the gospel, one of the biographies of Jesus? In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word came into our world. Jesus is called the living Word of God. This is now not just some instruction booklet for life or some rules that we're supposed to follow, but in a sense, God says, okay, they don't get it. They don't understand me. They don't know me. They are far from me. They're always running away from me. I am sending my very words in the flesh to them. And so Jesus comes as the living word, not just to teach us about God, though the things he says about God are mind-blowing and they have endured forever, just as the psalmist says. But he showed us, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen him. And I've come only to do what he tells me. I'm only saying what he tells me to say. I'm only doing what he tells me to do. Like you are seeing God through my life. It was a word that was a living word so that we could touch him and we could say, okay, what, what would God do if he came across people who were... Um, you know, who had messed up their lives so beyond that the rest of the world has said, you're an outcast. Well, well God, Jesus would say, well, God will give you a second chance and another one after that and another one after that. Well, God will always welcome someone who wants to come home. And what would Jesus think about these well-ordered religions that are basically just power plays and power structures? Well, well he would come into the temple and he would just turn it all over and he'd say, you don't need this, you have me. Like what, what would the, this is the living word. They saw it now, in a sense, lived out in a life. Oh, these aren't just words on a page or on a scroll or something. Somebody said, God said a long time ago, here he is in the flesh. And then it's so interesting. What does Jesus say when he's, he's leaving? He says, I'm going to send the spirit. And you know what the spirit is? The breath of God. Isn't that interesting? So you have, you have the God who gives his, in a sense, written word. And I, want, I wrote it down for you, and I want to read it for you. This thing, think about it, this was a great Trinitarian statement. The written word of God reveals Jesus, the living word of God, through the power of the Spirit, which is the breath of God. And, and you know what happened in that process? The, the word of God or the law, which, which was maybe something out there, kind of that we're trying to follow, trying not to follow, just hope it doesn't come in and, and talk to us. It's like kind of rule-breaking. It comes so close to us in a personal way that Jesus, in a sense, appears to us personally. And then he comes all the way in through the power of the Holy Spirit, that suddenly now God's word and his life and his breath are actually within us. This is the furthest thing from religious observance to a moral code. Is the personal God who sent his son personally to us, who then the spirit comes into our lives. And now, in a sense, we breathe in and breathe out his life that he instructs us from the inside. He changes our hearts, what we feel. He changes our minds, what we think. He changes our desires, what we long to do or long not to do anymore. Now it's not some book telling us you should do this, you shouldn't do that. It's a life within us saying, go here, go there, do this. Think this way, see the world this way. It is now a life that begins to shape us from the inside. Friends, this is what the word of God has the power to do in our lives, to shape us and change us and give us life. And all I know is over so many years, it has changed the way that I think. It has changed the way that I see the world. It has changed what I feel. Things that I thought I'd never be able to stop doing, he, he has set me free from. Things that I never thought I wanted to do now, I do regularly and love them and find that, yeah, this isn't just good for me, it's good that God has changed my mind and my life through his word. And so I was writing this message thinking, okay, so what am I going to say? Read your Bible. 
So, no, no, I, I got to tell you, I, and I wanted to just, I thought, you know, I felt like the Spirit saying, just tell them the passages that have changed your life. Okay, and, I, and I just started to list, which are the passages that I know that have so shaped and reshaped and, and literally kind of shifted my mind and my heart? And you don't have to flip to these, but let me just tell you one of them. I remember one of the ones that, you know, early on in my life, my dad said, memorize scripture, like get, get it into you. And Psalm 1 was the very first psalm I think I memorized. It says, blessed is the man who's not walking the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Wicked are just people who live life as if God doesn't exist. He said, blessed aren't those people who live like that, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night. So this idea of like chewing and meditating on God's word. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and everything he does prospers. Not so the wicked, not so those who live as if God doesn't exist. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And the picture that shaped my mind was like, do I wanna be like little substance that can be blown away at the slightest trouble, at the slightest opposition? Or do I wanna be like a tree that has deep roots, that bears fruit, that yields, that actually is a blessing to the world year after year after year? That's the picture that shaped my mind from Psalm 1. I remember reading, and I talked about this to you a few weeks ago, John 1 to 4, when I began to read the first few chapters of the Gospel of John and realized, wow, like Jesus actually came to end religion and bring us into a whole new way of living with him. As I read one chapter after another, after another, after another, I came, became so convinced, this is such good news. I, I, I want to just, I want to tell everyone I can. I remember reading in, in um, Matthew 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he said, don't worry about your life, what you will wear, what you will eat, what you will drink, where you will go. And he, he points to nature, he says, look at all of creation. Like, they don't worry. And God looks after them. Aren't you way more valuable than a bird or a blade of grass? So don't worry. God knows you need all this stuff. Seek him first and he'll look after the rest. That's a passage I've come back to over and over because we're, we're constantly tempted to worry. God's saying, don't worry. Look at creation. It just keeps on going beautifully so. Aren't you more valuable than that? Don't worry. I remember reading, and I come back to this often in Ephesians 5, when Paul tells the church, love your wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church. Anytime I want to be annoyed with my wife or think that the problems that we're having or an argument we're having is her fault, you know, comes back to me, what's my job? Oh, I'm supposed to lay down my life for her like Jesus did for the church. How did Jesus love his bride, the church? He sacrificed himself for her. He washed the feet of his disciples. He turned the other cheek when he was being accused. He lived his life and used his power in the service of those he came to serve. And so that passage reminds me over again, Vijay, this is your job as a husband. Love her like you have been loved. Serve her like Christ has served you. That passage plays over and over. I should be the first one to tell you, I'll tell you, I don't do it perfectly, but it reminds me what true love is over and over. Does that change my life? Absolutely. Does that put, take, rescue me from one direction of selfishness and entitlement and push me in another direction of living a life serving somebody that I have said, I do and I will no matter what you do? Yes, it does. The word of God changes my life. I read in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says that I am an ambassador of Christ. 
that in a sense, God is not counting the sins of the world against them. You know, everyone thinks that God is judgmental and he's angry and he's just waiting to zap people And 2 Corinthians 5 says, no, we know that God is gracious and longing to forgive and he's not counting people's sins against them and he is making his plea to the world through you. Has that changed my life? Yes, that I'm supposed to live my life in a sense, pleading with people to see God for who he really is. I was talking with our kids last night after, or a couple nights ago, we were reading scriptures saying, isn't it amazing? Like, isn't this who God is? And they're like, yeah. And I said, you know, most people don't think that this is who God really is. They, they think he's angry. They think he's judgmental. They don't realize how loving he is, how he's always coming after us. And so we're meant to live our lives. I'm meant to live my life as an ambassador, as a representative of a God who does not hold sins against us and is wanting the world to know his love. Has that changed my life? Yes, it has. It's not only given me a purpose for living, but it's also said, Vijay, if this is who God is, how dare you hold the sins of other people against them? If this is who God is, you have no right to be judgmental. If this is how God treats people who sin against him, how dare you hold out forgiveness from someone who has sinned against you? Has that changed my life? Yes, it has. And then I look to the end of Revelation, you know, when it says, when I, when I struggle like you do, in the midst of a world where I see a lot of hope and a lot of brokenness. And, and so in God, like I see all this beautiful creation, your beautiful purpose and your plans, and yet I also see so much brokenness and it tears me apart sometimes in my own life and the lives of other people. And when will this end? And I look to Revelation 21 and 22 and it says, Jesus will return one day. The only one that is right to judge the earth will come and will make all things new. Does that change my life? Yes, it does. It gives me hope. The days when I want to give up, because I can't seem to conquer the sin in my own life, or I can't seem to do anything about some of the human trafficking issues that we've, you know, getting, getting involved in with the church and trying to fight against that. And you start to think, is this, this is hopeless. I look to Revelation 21 and 22, don't lose hope. I see it all. No one will escape judgment, even if they duck the law, even if they get fined 200,000 bucks for making millions of year, dollars a year off of these girls that they're trafficking. Don't worry, one day I will come and drop the hammer. One day I will come and wipe away every tear from every eye and I will make all things new. Does it change my life? Yes, it does. Now, now let me ask you, where would I know this from? Would I know this from listening to the Foo Fighters, though I love the Foo Fighters? Would I know this about God or about life or anything? Would I know this from reading my favorite blog or reading a Malcolm Gladwell book or reading Sports Illustrated or listening? Would I know this? Those are all good things. They would never tell me this. God's word alone has the power to change and shape my life. And the only reason I can say this, I know it has happened to me. And though I'm not who I want to be, I'm not who I once was. And so I just wanted to tell you, don't give up on reading God's word. And we're out of time this morning, so I won't walk you through, but I I put in a little um, 30-minute plan in your bulletin there. I can throw it up on the screen for you. It's just a plan to say, okay, how do I read God's word? Because sometimes I understand it, sometimes I don't. You know what? Don't give up. Persevere. Uh, if, you, if you go to YouVersion, you can get the Bible app for your phone, your iPad, or whatever. You can do it online. They have so many reading plans. It'll say, okay, here's what to read. Start here. You want to read the Bible in a year? You want to read the Bible in two years? You can do what I do, read the Bible in a year, but take two years to do it. Um, doesn't matter, okay? Just get it in you. You got to allow this to shape your life. And you can grab a bulletin if you, if you didn't get one today, or did we run out or something? We have lots. Okay. That this is just a simple plan to say, I have 30 minutes. And maybe you say, I don't have 30 minutes every day. Yeah, but do you have it three times a week? 
Can you get it three times a week? Can you start once if you've never done it before? Just start and say, okay, I'm just going to clear the deck, write down everything that's on my mind, say, God, deal with this while I try to listen to you. And then I'm going to begin with praying and thanksgiving. I'm going to write down everything that God has done for me or everything that I know that he is. And then I'm going to ask the Spirit to just speak. Open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart to what you're going to say. Then I'm going to read in whatever passage I'm supposed to read for that day. Then I'm going to think about it. What does this tell me about God, about who he is? What is this saying to me about who I am? Is this something I need to do in my life? Is there a note I need to send to someone? Is there someone I need to call? Is there someone I need to encourage? Is there someone I need to confess to? What do I do? Is this a word to encourage someone else? Can I call them? And then pray into your day and say, okay, I got this meeting, I got this meeting. I got to go here, I got to go there. I think I might run into this person. I got to call my mom, don't want to do it. Got to do all this stuff. Okay, okay, help me through my day. Every time I've sort of gotten lost or disoriented in life, I come back to this thing. And I've been using this plan for the last couple of years now. My dad kind of shared it with our church, I think, a couple of years ago. And he said 40. I shaved down to 30. Um, <laughs> you can do it. Just to get his word into my life and get me chewing on it, feeding on it, and allow it. And I'm trusting you. Over time, I was amazed just as I wrote down all the passages that have changed my life. And I stood and looked back. And you know what I said? God, don't stop. I want more. I want more of your word that blows my mind, that blows up in my heart, that changes me, that shifts me, that moves me, that begins to call me and stabilize me and refresh me and give me joy and give me purity of heart and give me righteousness and give me wisdom. I want that. Just don't stop. You did it for me in the past. Do it again. And that's my prayer for you. G. Campbell Morgan, a 20th century British minister, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now, was walking in a cemetery in Italy and he saw this giant, must have been a thousand pound marble slab that was kind of a, a stone on top of a grave. And he said right through the middle of this marble slab was an oak tree. It had split the slab in half and was this massive tree growing over top. And he said, isn't that interesting? Back, way back when, when that person was buried in that thousand pound slab of marble was dropped on that earth, a little acorn fell in. How powerful was that acorn at that moment against the thousand-pound marble slab? It was no match. And yet over time, what did it do? It grew, it grew, and it literally split it apart, dead things coming to life. It's a picture of how powerful and persistent and at times small, but over time like an oak tree, God's word is in our lives. It has the potential to split apart the heavy things that you feel like you can't get away from. It has the potential to bring the things that you think are dead and gone to life. It has the potential to do more than you could ever think when you look at it. It seems small. I just read this passage. I don't even get what it means against the giant marble slabs of life that seem to be coming against you. God's word is powerful. That's just the power of biological life. How about God's word? So don't give up. Don't stop. We're going to take communion this morning, the Lord's Supper, and it's a picture of, um, you know, that we actually, you know, that Jesus has actually come into our lives, that we actually, even when we eat the bread and drink the cup, in a sense, is symbolic of, of us taking him right into our lives and having that power of his life begin to grow and change us. And so Tony's going to lead us in invitation. The worship team's going to help us respond. I just want to bless you with something God gave me this week which was just a, a new desire and hunger to have my life shaped by his words. To know that these aren't just words on a page, but that the living word Christ has come close to me. and He has sent his spirit inside of me. And this is now the thing that I have longed for all my life, to be changed, to be shaped, to be more like him. And I just 
just, as I said, I just prayed. I said, God, just don't stop. No matter how up and down I am, no matter how faithless I sometimes be, no matter how much I doubt, don't be deterred by me. Because you haven't been my whole life, and so don't stop now. And so I just want to bless you with that kind of prayer and that kind of hope of a God who is more faithful than you could ever be, could do more than you can ask or imagine. Would you receive that? Amen. Thanks.